0: Good morning and welcome to worship on this Lord's Day. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Please turn with me for our scripture reading, which you can find in first Corinthians one, beginning at verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 26, and we'll be reading to the end of chapter 2. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, Who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of god Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." but as it is written i hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which god hath prepared for them that love him but god hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of god for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of god knoweth no man but the spirit of god Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Please turn with me in the back of your Psalters to page 53, where we'll be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25. Lord's Day 25. Question 65. Since then we are made partakers of Christ, and all his benefits by faith only, whence doth this faith proceed? Answer, from the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. Question 66. What are the sacraments? Answer. The sacraments are holy visible signs and seals appointed by God for this end that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely that he grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Question 67. Are both word and sacraments, then, ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground for salvation? Answer, yes, indeed, for the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon the one sacrifice of Christ, which he offered for us on the cross. Question 68, how many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Answer two, namely Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Now we read from, uh, our text this evening is found in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 and this is in the time when Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's went around the then known world and he's witnessing the various philosophies, the various lifestyles of the Greek and the Roman world. And as Paul traveled around, we see this in his writings. He was, he was struck by the foolishness of, of their teaching. He was, he was struck by the foolishness of, of their living. And we know that this motivated Paul to preach nothing but the simple message of the gospel. We also know that when Paul brought this message, when he went out into the world around him, it was not received with open arms but was often scorned and and labeled as foolishness. Paul tells the Corinthians in the beginning of chapter 2 what message it was that he brought. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the, the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When Paul first came to Corinth, he went to the Jewish synagogues, and when he was there, he... He met a lot of opposition and very few converts. Those who re- rejected the gospel there, they, they did not recognize the divine truth of the message. Not only did they not recognize, but they were often hostile to it. And in doing so, in being this way, they thought they were wise. But the reality was they were really Fools. So what did Paul do then? So then Paul went to the Gentiles with the gospel. And here it was more readily received, but these new Christians in Corinth were, were slow to conform their lives to the gospel. For these Gentiles who had believed many, yet remained attached to the They're foolish, the foolish ways of the world. They remained attached to living reckless lives that oppose their profession of faith. And after Paul has left Corinth, after when he's staying in Ephesus, he, he hears about this. He hears about the effects of false teaching and worldliness upon the Corinthians, and he writes them. He writes them. To reinforce the fact that the simple gospel He brought them is true wisdom. And it comes with power. It comes with power not only to bring regeneration, not only to save them, but also to change their lives. It's power of God for complete salvation. It's God's hidden wisdom spoken in a mystery. A mystery that the Holy Spirit works in the Corinthians hearts, but also in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit confirms by the use of the sacraments. And this morning we're going to be looking at the revelation of this spiritual wisdom. How the Holy Spirit reveals The hidden wisdom of God to us. And our sermon is titled, The Revelation of Spiritual Wisdom. We'll be looking at our spiritual blindness to spiritual wisdom. Our spiritual awakening to spiritual wisdom. And our spiritual instruction in spiritual wisdom. Now I want you to go back with me a moment. Children, you probably remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. I want you to think about what happened there for a a moment when the Lord miraculously breathed fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. How these Israelites were confronted with the reality of God's existence the reality that He was the Almighty, He is the Almighty God. And they fell on their faces at that time and they said, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. There was a reaction to the powerful display by the Lord. And no doubt the Lord used this for the conversion of some, but overall, if we look in our Bibles, we see that the nation of Israel, the people overall did not change. The impressions faded and the people returned to their idolatrous ways. And then I want you to think about Judas. Judas followed Jesus around for three years. He witnessed the many miracles that Jesus did. He heard the life-giving preaching of our savior. And he didn't believe in him. In fact, he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And then I want you to think about when Jesus rose from the dead. The guards that were guarding the tomb, they they witnessed his resurrection. They saw that it was a reality, that this in fact happened and they ran to the Pharisees and they told the Pharisees what had happened, that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And how did the Pharisees react? Did they fall on their faces in repentance, realizing that Jesus was who he said he was? After all, the evidence is right in front of them. No, they invented lies in an attempt to eradicate the truth of Jesus' witness. These scriptural examples, these illustrate well the natural human heart. The hardness and belligerent nature of our person to God's truth and to God Himself. You've heard the expression, you can't see the forest for the, for the trees. This is when someone begin, when, when someone, uh, is so engrossed in the details that they can't see the big picture. Well, this, this isn't what is happening in these examples. The trees and the forest have been clearly presented to these people. They just can't see the trees or the forest. In fact, they refuse to see the forest and the trees. The crowds on Mount Carmel had all the evidence before them that they needed to trust and believe in the Lord. Judas and the Pharisees had no excuses for their unbelief and rebellion. For they were witnesses of the incarnate God-Man. They witnessed His miracles. They heard His words of life. Yet for all of these people, God's truths never penetrated, penetrated their hearts. It may have had a temporary effect, but for most it was if God's truth just bounced off them with no effect. How can this be? Was there, was there a problem with the message? Perhaps Jesus needed to do more spectacular miracles and and better signs. And maybe then these people would have believed. No, there's no problem with the message. There's no problem with what Jesus did. The problem was not the quantity or quality of the miracles. The problem lay with the people themselves. They did not recognize. They did not listen to God's wisdom because in their eyes it was not wise. They refused to hear it. They they would not understand it. They would not obey it. Paul explains this in our text. He writes in verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When Paul earlier visited Corinth, before he he wrote this letter, and we already mentioned this, he first went to the Jewish synagogues and there preached the gospel. Being the covenant people of God, one would expect that they would embrace Paul's message. But apart from Crispus and his household, none of them believed. They were blind to the truth of the gospel. The gospel is foolishness to natural man. It has no attraction to us. Due to our corrupt heart, due to our our fallen nature, we have, have no desire, no natural desire for true knowledge of God. We do not desire to know God's wisdom. However, not only do we not desire to know God's wisdom... For even if it was possible for us to desire to know it, it would be impossible for us to gain this knowledge. We need more than our reason. We need more than our intellect to understand and know our God and his gospel. John Calvin says, Human reason therefore neither approaches nor strives toward nor even takes straight aim at this truth to understand who the true God is, or what sort of God he wishes to be toward us. In other words, human reason does, it does reveal information to us, but it's so tainted by our corruptness and blindness. And on its own, it does not produce spiritual wisdom. It does not lead to regeneration and faith. Paul witnessed this. He witnessed this blindness in his visits to the to the Jewish synagogues and also in his interactions with pagan poets and scholars. These pagans chose to believe the fairy tales of Zeus and Artemis and Jupiter and Mars rather than embracing the truth. As Calvin says, they were drunk with the false opinion of their own insight. Their keenness of mind was mere blindness as far as the knowledge of God was concerned. Thinking themselves wise, they became fools. Choosing to believe the lies that their sinful heart and Satan told them rather than the truth of the gospel as it is presented in holy scripture. According to Paul in verse 14 in our text, we in our unregenerate, we in an unsaved state, we refuse to accept the things of the Spirit of God. And not only do we not accept them, but we are unable to understand them because they can only be spiritually discerned. The wisdom of God can only be discerned, only be known by those who have the Holy Spirit. As we look around the world, as we're often bewildered by why so many people so readily reject the life-giving truth of the gospel. The Apostle John speaks of this. He addresses this in the first chapter of his gospel. He writes, in him was life, and him, referring to Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. A few verses later, he writes, he was in the world, again speaking of Jesus, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. By nature, we are spiritually blind. Our eyes don't see it. Our ears don't hear it. Our hearts reject it. And our minds don't understand the wisdom of God. You know, believers, you see this sometimes. You see this sometimes when maybe you're bringing the gospel to unbelievers. And as you present the gospel, sometimes it can be discouraging because it just seems to go right over their heads. It seems to be going in one ear and out the other. There seems to be, even though they're hearing the words you're speaking, they're hearing the words you're saying. they're not really grasping it. They're not really understanding it, knowing the importance of it. It seems to be going in one ear and out the other. And this raises the question for us, if then we all by nature reject the gospel, if we all by nature reject spiritual wisdom, if we are spiritually blind, how is it possible... That many believe and have true faith. Well, this is only because of our Lord. This is only because of our great God. And more specifically, in this sermon, it's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who interferes, who stops us on our journey of damnable ignorance and spiritually awakens us. The Spirit comes and He gives life where there is no life. He regenerates a dead sinner and works faith in their heart. Our spiritual awakening, and this is our second point, occurs through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit awakens a sinner, causing their supernatural rebirth into spiritual life. And when the Holy Spirit awakens a sinner... He causes them to be born again. The theological term for this is regeneration. Regeneration. We know when we generate something, we're creating or or making something. But when we regenerate something, you're, you're taking something that already exists and you're giving new life to it. You're giving new life to something that is already made. I know many of you um, or some of you work at the thrift store in, in Grandville for the seminary called Regenerate. And I'm pretty sure you picked this name for its spiritual meaning, but also for the, the practical meaning the word has for the store. So what, what do you do at this thrift store? Well, you sell secondhand clothes and goods. And by selling these goods, you're giving second life to clothes, to furniture, to other things that would... Otherwise, not be used again. In a sense, you're regenerating the items that you sell. When the Holy Spirit regenerates, He does something much more powerful that's done at the thrift store, but He comes to already existing people, but He gives them new life so that they're born again. Sinners that were spiritually Spiritually dead are now alive; those that were blind now see. And I'm sure you're aware of the perfect picture that Ezekiel gives us in chapter 37 of his his prophecy. And in chapter 37, the Lord calls Ezekiel to go out to a valley that's full of dry bones. You picture this, a valley full of dry bones. There's no life there in these bones. They're dry and brittle. And he goes and he he preaches to them. Ezekiel writes, he says, Again, he, that's the Lord, said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live and know that I am the Lord. Just an interesting side note here. The word breath here is also the same word for spirit also the same word for spirit. There is no life in these bones. And this is a picture of our spiritual deadness. These bones are unable to do anything or understand the things of God until God brings new life into them. Until the Holy Spirit comes in them and works in them. But once they are made alive, once the Holy Spirit indwells them, well, that changes everything. And this sets off a whole cascade of redemptive work in a now born again believer. Now the person begins to understand the things of God's wisdom. Now this wisdom begins to reveal, be revealed by the Holy Spirit to this awakened sinner. This person in their unregenerate state did not know God, but now the spirit who who searches all things, who knows the depths of God, this spirit now indwells this person and reveals to them the hidden wisdom of God. The awakened sinner receives the spirit who is from God. And it is because of this that they therefore now begin to know. They therefore now begin to understand the gospel. They now begin to understand who God is. And they also begin to see who they are. Their eyes are opened. They begin to realize the seriousness of their sin. They begin to realize that apart from the grace of God, they are most miserable. They come to see that they need the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for eternal life. And they cannot live this life without Him. And the Holy Spirit who opened their eyes to their condition now opens their eyes to the beauty of Jesus Christ, to the beauty of His gospel. And as our catechism says, the Holy Spirit works faith in their hearts so that they begin to discern God's will and re- realize the magnitude of their blessings now that they are an adopted son or daughter of the King of the universe. We all must be spiritually awakened. We all must be born again. We must be regenerated. We must be made alive. We must be indwelt by this Holy Spirit. Now this isn't a new message. This is something we hear from this pulpit every Sunday. And perhaps it's something we hear so much that out of habit we start to tune it out. I often listen to music when I study. Usually it helps me concentrate. It helps me by tuning out any distractions that are going on around me. I usually listen to music that I'm very familiar with. But if a new song pops up, sometimes I'll... I'll lose my concentration and think about it. But usually music acts as just background noise. I don't really pay attention to the music. I don't pay attention to what I'm listening to. Is the gospel that you hear every Sunday here like the old songs, the familiar songs on your playlist? The ones you know so well that you're just automatically tuning it out. You're not listening to it. You're not listening to the precious gospel because you hear it so frequently. Many of you here still are not saved. And you hear this gospel freely offered every week. Is it like an old song? That you tune out. Or maybe it's like the old song that you, you skip on your playlist. You know, I, I do this as well. A song comes up that I've heard so many times. I say, no, not this song again. And I, I hit skip and, and move on to the next one. Maybe this is what's happening in your head right now. You're thinking, here comes this old familiar message again. I wish I could hit the skip button and we could move on with the sermon. But many of you still are not born again. This is the message. This is the invitation that you need to hear. You have not been awakened from your sleep of death. You are dead, dry bones that cannot do or understand the will of God. And if you continue on your way, it will lead to everlasting destruction and eternal death. Though this be the thousandth time you're hearing the call to repent and believe the gospel, I pray that this time you will hear it. That you would bow your knees confessing your sin. That you would turn by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Though you've heard this every single Sunday, this is the greatest news ever. This is the greatest news you will ever hear. Though you are dead in your sin, and you cannot do or understand the hidden wisdom of God, yet there is available for you a Savior. A Savior who will take away your sin. A Spirit who will awaken you from death to life. Therefore, turn and live, for why will you die? The Lord has no pleasure in your death. He calls you to repent and to turn yourself from your transgressions. And He will give you a new heart and a new spirit, a new heart made alive by the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit who will regenerate you. A Holy Spirit who will live in you. A Holy Spirit who will reveal the wisdom of God, showing you your sin, your need for Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He awakens hearts, shows us our need for a Savior, and once He begins this work, He will complete it. Consequently, the saint who is now alive, who has been regenerate, will repent of their sin and believe the gospel. You've heard me mention regeneration a couple of times. This is a theological term for when a person is made alive by the Holy Spirit. And faith is when the sinner trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. These are two separate elements in God's work of salvation, yet they are part of the same parcel and are inseparable from each other. Faith, true faith, does not occur without regeneration. And when regeneration occurs, when the Holy Spirit awakens a sinner, faith inevitably follows. Once the Holy Spirit begins to work, He will complete His work. Until the end. And once the Spirit begins to work, He will continue to work in the hearts of believers. He will continue instructing you in spiritual wisdom that He has awakened you to. When we are born again, when we first believe and have faith in Christ, we might be tempted to think the journey's done, we've arrived, but the reality is the work, God's work of salvation is not finished. Yes, you are a child of God and yes, you are on your way to glory, but your salvation journey has just begun and will not be complete until you enter glory. We can be prone to put all of our emphasis on being born again, but we forget that this is only the first step of salvation. The Holy Spirit continues to work, continues to work in the lives of believers in their hearts and minds And he works the same way when he first awakens us and worked faith in our hearts. He uses the same means. Paul writes in verse 12 the following. Now we have received not of the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. The spirit continues to work in our lives, continuing to reveal to us the hidden wisdom of God. He gives us the mind of Christ so that we would begin to understand the mind of the Lord. So that we would begin to, to know Christ more. So how do we begin to understand the mind of the Lord? How does the Holy Spirit instruct us? Is it through dreams and visions? Is it through miracles? Is it through our emotions and experiential experiences? Although we should never divorce God's providence and our experiences from the work of the Holy Spirit, yet the Word of God, including the sacraments, supersede and overrule all else. Our catechism here directs us to the means that the Holy Spirit uses. It tells us that the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel, by the word, and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. This is the way that the Lord chooses to work in his people's hearts. The Lord never worked savingly in the heart of a person apart from from his word he may use other means he may direct events so that a person comes to the word but he always and only uses his word for the conversion of sinners this is why it's so important that we read our bibles this is why it's so important that we we come to hear the preached word perhaps you're looking for the lord to work in your life maybe you're waiting for a sign an act of providence and an experience a feeling that will somehow take you a step forward in your faith have you read your bible have you listened to the preaching of the word Have you searched the Scriptures to see what it tells you about God and how true His Word is? God's Word overrules all else. It overrules our feelings. It overrules our experiences. It overrules the coincidences that occur in our life. What is God telling you in His Word? It doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter if you feel Him telling it to you or not. It doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you the words of God when you open your Bible. God's Word doesn't become inspired when we feel that it is speaking to us for it is already inspired and each time we open our bibles each time we hear the preached word god is speaking to us he's revealing himself to us and yet we we often struggle on struggling to believe what god tells us in his word, we, we do not take his word, we do not take God at His Word, we don't take it at face value. Sadly, we find it difficult to believe the promises of God are for sinners like us. We look at ourselves, we we look at our failings, the, the indwelling sin that remains in our heart, and we think there's no way these promises can be for me. Who did Christ come for? He says Himself, He did not come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. He came to call you and me sinners to repentance and faith. To call us to live our lives for Him. And dear struggling believer, though you may know but a little of Christ, and though you, like all believers, cannot begin to see your worthiness of salvation, Yet the amazing thing, and this is the gospel, the amazing thing is that the promises of God, the favor of God, the love of God are plainly given to you in his word. These God's word points you to Christ, his promises point you to Christ, to the benefits of salvation. And we can trust, we can absolutely rely on what the Lord says about Himself and what He says about His benefits. We can trust Him, we can trust His Word more than we trust ourselves. We can trust Him more than we trust our doubts. And yet the Lord in His mercy, here we sit as doubting Christians, finding it hard to believe God's word, finding it hard to believe that the truth of the gospel can can be true for me, and then He comes to us. In a few weeks we'll see this, and He not only allows us to hear His word, but And he comes to poor doubting Christians and he gives us visible signs, visible seals of his favor. Visible signs and seals of his grace. He goes beyond what we hear. And he gives us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He shows us, he visibly confirms the fact that our sins have been remitted. And that we now have eternal life because of the one sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. He comes to us and He shows this to us. As sure as you see this, so true is it, so true is this. He grants these to us so that we would grow in our faith, that we would be assured in our faith. And he continues Sunday after Sunday to reveal to us day after day the hidden wisdom of God. The Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms his faith by the use of the sacraments. And as we look at the Spirit's work, we confess, yes, it's he who works faith. This is not something we can do ourselves. The Spirit works faith. But I must warn you that before you throw up your hands, before you use the sovereignty of God and your inability as an excuse not to believe, you need to know, and Scripture clearly testifies, that the Lord, in particular the Holy Spirit, is more willing to work in you than you can imagine. That can never be your excuse. The gospel call freely comes. And what a blessing that it's the spirit that works. That willingly does what we can't do. He freely offers the gospel to each of us. He does this every time we open the word. He does this every time we hear the preached word. He does this every time we see the sacraments. He willingly and eagerly changes heart. He Gives new hearts, hearts that embrace Jesus Christ and His gospel. Therefore, dear sinner, both believer and unbeliever, strong believer and weak believer, this day, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, trusting in Him for your salvation, depending on the Holy Spirit to give sight to blind eyes, depending on Him to instruct you in the hidden wisdom of God as you meditate on His Word and as you participate in the sacraments. Amen. Our most gracious and merciful God in heaven, we thank Thee, Lord, for Thy Word, for again bringing us the gospel this day. We pray, Lord, that all of us would not only seek to be born again, but, Lord, that we would seek to know the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ. And that we would seek to walk in this wisdom all the days of our life. Lord, we stand astounded at thy willingness to work, to conform us to thy image, to restore us into thy image. To make right to all that is wrong in us. Thou art a most wonderful an amazing God. And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.